Well, good morning. First off, I would like to thank you all for your flexibility. As our church continues to be remodeled and is under construction, some of you back in this corner heard a fire alarm go off. There is no fire. There is a bunch of concrete dust in all of our ductwork that is super fun and really awesome about how many times I have to turn that thing off during the week. So we are working on it, and I'm trying to be flexible and deal with all the logistical stuff, and I thank you for being flexible with us as well. Won't it be great when we have a facility that is new and sharp so that we can do some different things? I'm super excited. I want to say thanks for your flexibility, and also thanks for your partnership in the gospel to continue to raise funds to pay for it. Um, I know we're all getting squeezed financially with inflation and the gas pump, and some of y'all made three-year commitments and pledges. We are not like hawkishly looking at that and like going to come hunt you down if you don't make good on it. I realize life happens. That was a commitment you made between Jesus and if you need to buy groceries or give to our church, please feed your family, okay? We, God, God makes you a provider and I'm sensitive to all of that and I'm confident that what he calls us to, he'll provide for and there's just flexibility there. So thanks for all of you who have partnered with us and, uh, and know that there's flexibility and God is gracious and mercy and merciful as, as we'll, we'll learn here today a little bit more together. So I want to clue you into the fact that we are a part of a fellowship. It's not really a denomination because it's not a top-down thing. It's more of a fellowship. It's called the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. And at its simplest, our church is a part of this fellowship. It's a, it's a bunch of churches that have banded together around the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish reproducing churches worldwide. Again, it's not really a domination because the front office, they don't really tell us what we need to do here locally. Rather, the front office of our fellowship, the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, they exist to help pool resources and resource us in various ways to help us make the most out of the talent and the finances and everything that we have so that we can do a better job of planting, reproducing churches worldwide. So it was a huge benefit that we're a part of this fellowship, and I want to uh, give you an example of one of the ways that we have personally benefited here. One of those ways is that there are a couple churches, area churches, that are a part of this fellowship, the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, in our area. One of them, Archibald E. Van, could not take on a, a resident for various reasons, um, and so they called us and they said, hey, we got a resident, he's awesome, and we were wondering if you would take him and we would pay half of his salary. So he said, yes and amen. And so because of that, Seth is here with us. He's been here for about a year and a half, and it's been a tremendous blessing for us. And I think he would say he's learned a lot and is growing a lot as well. And so it's just a, a really cool way that God used us being a part of a fellowship, making us better together than if we are alone and separate. And so that is one way that we are very appreciative to be a part and to be banded together with the other churches that believe in Jesus, that hold up the word of God, among other things that are united in the gospel. Now, all of that to tell you that we have an annual conference once a year. This year it was in Denver. I had the opportunity of traveling out to Denver and listening to a bunch of different speakers. The, the theme was banded together in the gospel. One of those speakers was a guy named Larry Crabb. If you Google him, you discover he's a very gifted communicator. He's written lots of different books. Uh, he's a pastor at a very large church in California. Anyways, he was there and he spoke. And I was introduced through his, his sermon to a concept that I never heard explained in this manner, and I want to share it with you today. Larry called it the dimmer switch principle. 
the dimmer switch principle. Now, we all have dimmer switches in our, in our houses, right? We get it. We, we like to, to set the mood if you're going to have some romantics with the spouse, right? Or, or we, we turn it up if you're chopping vegetables so you don't chop your fingers off. Like, it, it, it gives you some flexibility on your lighting. Now, my wife, she always makes fun of me because the dimmer switches in my house are always down low because I'm not usually chopping vegetables and I'm not working on the shop, so I don't want it to be bright. When I sit down on the couch, I want to relax. I want to chill. So I, I turn those babies down low. She jokes that I would be content living in a cave. It's like, yeah, you're not wrong. I, I like it. I like my house to be dark. Anyways, so we get it. We get the physical principle. You have a dimmer switch. You can turn the lights up. You can turn the lights down for whatever mood that you're trying to create. This reality, it doesn't only exist physically with light switches. There is a dimmer switch principle that exists spiritually as well, as well. And I want you to, to know what the reality is here, okay? 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 clues us into the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of humanity. He is the light that God has given to, the, to, to us humans, spiritually speaking. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the gospel. It's Jesus. We learned last week from Romans 1, 16 and 17, a little bit more specifically what the gospel is. Paul tells us that the gospel is the good news about Jesus. He says it's the power of God to save those who believe, to give us right standing. That's a righteous uh, standing, to give us righteousness. That's not of our own doing. It's by faith alone. That's the gospel, and to put it in another way, that is the light that God has given to humanity. And what we're going to read about this morning is what happens to us if we would acknowledge this gospel light if we would live in reality of it and follow the light of life who is Jesus, and it also gives us the flip of that. What happens if we suppress or ignore the light that God has given us through Christ? And what we're going to see is the dimmer switch principle. Essentially, Paul says if we acknowledge God or Christ who is God and follow his light, that will give us righteousness and God will continue to turn up the light in our life. His word will be a light unto our path that helps us make decisions, that makes us godly and wise. But if we ignore the light that God has given us, then gradually God will turn that dimmer switch down until eventually the lights go off completely. And when that happens, we will be left in complete and utter darkness. To quote Larry Crabb, he says, when we respond to the light that we have, when we respond in faith and obedience, God gives us more. When we don't, he takes away the light we already have. He says, I want you to catch this. He said, it's not just that we stop growing when we ignore what we already have. We actually lose the light that we once have. On the other hand, whenever we respond to the light that we have, no matter how dim it may be, it could just be a little bit, just a glimmer, a glitter. No matter what, how, how dim the light is, if we would respond to it, God grabs the old dimmer switch and he turns up the lights even brighter in our life. Paul clues, or Larry clues us into a Proverbs that illustrates this. Proverbs 4, verse 18 and 19, it says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. So it starts shining, and then it shines ever brighter till the full light of day. Dimmer switch going up. But the way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. 
Now this principle, the dimmer switch principle, I believe is exactly what we see Paul outlining for us in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. I want to read it with you together, and as we do, you will see these three principles as we go. In verses 18 through 21, you will see the dimmer switch principle outlined, so it's a little bit what we discussed. Paul kind of outlines it for us. And then in verses 22 through 25, we'll see what does it look like to ignore God's light. What do I mean when I say ignore or suppress the truth of the light of the gospel? What does that look like? And lastly, what happens when the light goes out? So let's read it together. Romans 1 out of NIV, verse 18. Paul writes this. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural desires or natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with one another and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, that's faithfulness or loyalty, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve or celebrate those who participate in them. All right. So firstly, we'll see in verses 18 through 21, the dimmer switch principle outlined. We're told very clearly that humanity has been given a light through creation, God's existence can be seen. When we look out on the created world, the natural order of things, the beauty of it, and the complexity of systems that exist not only in nature but in our own own human bodies, we can see that there stands behind all of this creation a creator that has designed it, that stands supreme above and behind all of it. It's obvious, Roman tells us. Everyone sees this so that we're out, we're without re- excuse. 
That's the light we've been given. Now, it's not all of the gospel light, right? We can't look out at nature and see that we need to believe in Jesus, but we can see the Demersitch principle applied here. God says, if you respond to the reality that I exist and I put my fingerprints over creation, if you would accept that I'm here and move towards me, then I'll gradually turn that dimmer switch up and eventually you will find me. You will find me. I will lead you to Jesus towards faith in my son. We know this is true because we have other parts of the Bible that tell us this is the case. In Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord explicitly tells us this. He says, if you search for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you respond to the little light I give you and you search for me wholeheartedly, you're going to find me. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, he says, receives. The one who seeks will find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then in John 8, we get this image of the light furthermore applied by Jesus. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of life. I give light to this world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life or the light that gives life. He continues, to those who believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, if you follow me as the light, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth, the lights will come on and the truth will set you free. You will walk through life and not stumble. So to summarize, if you follow the light who is Jesus, as Romans 1.21 tells us, you will acknowledge God, glorify him, and give thanks to him with your life. And as you do that, the lights will get brighter. God will guide you in your relationship with Jesus, in your relationships with others. You will walk in freedom. You will not stumble. But this isn't our natural bent towards the light. I liken it to, to this kind of illustration. Imagine you fall asleep and it's deep darkness, right? You've got a cave in your bedroom and it's just beautiful. It's pitch black. You fall asleep and then you've got some little rugrats that come in at 5.30 in the morning and they turn that bright light on right all the way up to the top. Now, what's your gut response to that? Coming out of the darkness, right? The light is offensive. It hurts your eyes. You want to run away from it. Turn that thing off, Right? That's our reaction to Jesus initially. Initially. John 3, 19 says, Jesus is speaking, he says, this is the verdict. The light has come into this world, but the people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And this happens because we exist in a spiritual realm and a spiritual reality. Satan is real, and we're told that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that We love the darkness, and when the light of Christ gets flipped on, it first is offensive and something that we want to run away from. So rather than loving and following the light, without the grace of God working in our life, we choose to suppress it, we choose to ignore it. Now, I think it would be helpful here to examine what does that look like, practically speaking. What does it look like to ignore the gospel light in our life? Verse 21 of Romans 1 gives us a clue. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So, this is what people are doing that are ignoring the light of the gospel in their life. They're not giving God glory. And that's not a word that we use a whole lot. So, I did what we all do when we don't know about something. I Googled it. Guess what website it brought me to? 
gotquestions.org. I've been pumping that. It's great. There's an article on there that says, what does it mean to glorify God? And in that article, it gives us a couple things backed by the scripture of God's word. To glorify God means first and foremost that we acknowledge that he exists and he is the greatest. Secondly, it means that we listen to and agree with what he says. And as we do those things, we rehearse his goodness in our minds by meditating on who he is and what he says and telling others about it. That's what it means to glorify God. If you don't ignore the light, if you embrace the light, you will glorify God by acknowledging he exists and he's the greatest. You will tell others about who he is and what he's done for you because of Christ. That's glorifying God. And out of that, you will live with thanksgiving. You will thank God for the good things that you have in your life, whether it be children or career or finances or a roof over your head. You will glorify God and give him thanks for everything. If you ignore God, you won't do any of those things. Secondly, Romans 1.25 tells us, how people ignored God. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So they live live a lie rather than the truth. And as they live a lie, they worship and serve created things rather than the creator. From verse two, we discover that to ignore the light, it looks like withholding glory from God and refusing to live with thanksgiving. It also looks like worshiping and serving created things rather than our creator. If we were to summarize this, essentially, ignoring the light of the gospel in our life, it looks like idolatry. It looks like idolatry. Now, that's a word that when we hear, we were pretty quick to dismiss because we think of the little gold statue sitting on a shelf that we burn incense to or that we, um, you know, pray to or that kind of thing. We think of that thing up in there. It's like, well, I'm not an idolater. I I don't worship other gods. That's not me. And we're quick to dismiss it. Let me just say, let's slow our roll for a second. Okay, because I think you'll find that we are actually more quick to worship idols than than what we might first imagine. The reality is that our hearts are idol factories. We're clued into how this works in verse 24 of Romans 1. Paul says that when we exchange our worship and service of God for created things, eventually God gives us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. And in Tim Keller's uh, commentary on Romans, He says that that word translated as sinful desires could also be translated as an over-desire or an all-controlling desire in our hearts that God is giving us over to. So let me tell you how this works. While we might not be ignoring God for some Buddha on on a shelf, I know that each and every one of us struggles to keep money, sex, power, pleasure, alcohol, television, food, among many other things, good things, we struggle to keep those good things in their place. Idolatry is when we take a good thing and we elevate it to a God thing status, where it becomes an all-controlling desire that shapes how we live, how we think, how we behave, right? How I, whatever you put into this blank might be an idol for you. If I could just have blank. Then I would know peace. Then I would know rest. Then I would know joy. If I could just have more money, then I would know peace. Then I would know rest. Then I would know joy. Then everything would be okay. If I could just get a little bit more in my bank account. If I could just have more sex, 
then I would be rested, then I would have peace, then I would have joy. If I could just fill in the blank, if I could just make it to the weekend, if I could just make it to the bar, if I could just take my medication, if I could just get high, if I could just find a spouse, if I could just find another job or a different job or get a promotion, if I could just have this one thing, then I'd be happy, then I'd know joy, then I'd know peace. Friends, whatever that one thing is for you, whatever that one thing that we have to have, Whatever those pursuits that control how we think and live and act, the Bible calls them idols if they are not God. And while we might not worship and serve them with our mouths, we worship and serve them with our lives and our actions. And when we allow the pursuit of those things to drive us, when we worship and serve those things, we will be ignoring the light of heaven and suppressing the truth which tells us that only Jesus can give you and I what our hearts desire. That's what ignoring the light looks like. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with these things. I struggle with keeping good things as good gifts from God and not turning them into God things. I think we all do. It's made all the more difficult because Satan is totally on board with that deception. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. Friends, it's only by acknowledging and serving the truth, the truth about who Jesus is, receiving Christ in faith, only through faith can we be made righteous and only through faith in Christ can we know grace which brings joy and peace into our life. And yet, many of us would nod our heads to that, and yet, we struggle to embrace this truth. And I just want to run down the road with you and and outline for you what happens if we persist in ignoring God's light in our lives. Eventually, he says, I'm going to turn the lights out. It's the dimmer switch principle. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, 23, he says, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Which brings us to what it looks like for us when God turns the light out. Essentially, God's wrath against those who choose to persist in ignoring him. His wrath is to give them the things that they desire. That is a sobering thought for me. Think about that for a minute. God's judgment being revealed in our world right now to those that suppress the truth is to give them, to give me what my heart desires. That's his judgment. That's a terrifying thing. You may have heard it said, too much of a good thing ain't a good thing anymore. Church, this is that on steroids. This is that on steroids. When we take a good thing and we elevate it to God's status, it becomes a, trolling, a controlling thing in our life, and the goodness in that thing is ripped away from it. It becomes a perversion. It becomes evil and wicked, devoid of the blessings that it was meant to give us as a gift, not as a God. You say, well, what does this look like? Well, Paul gives us some examples. He starts with sex. He starts with sex. Is there anything wrong with sex? No. It was God's idea to make sex, right? 
He said it's good, it's beautiful. And if we receive it, if we acknowledge God, if we listen to him, we're giving him glory, listen to and agree with him about how he designed this world to work, we say yes and amen. He says, I've got sex for you. Here's the parameters that it needs to stay within. Now, some of you who've been here before know exactly the illustration that I'm going to use. B-Y? You know it. The fireplace. That's right. Right? Sex Sex is like a fireplace. It's like fire in a fireplace. We glorify God and agree with him and listen to him when we say, awesome, sex is great, it gives off warmth, it's beautiful within the fireplace, which is between a biological man and a biological woman who are married and united in a marital covenant. Sex is great there. Take it out of the fireplace and it'll burn your house down. Sex outside of marriage. Sex acts outside of marriage. Homosexual, heterosexual, pornography, all of it. Outside of the fireplace, it'll burn your house down. Church, if you worship and serve sex, here's the reality. Sex is what you'll get. That will be your everything. It will be what drives you. It will be what consumes you. It will be what defines you. You will be nothing more than the physical exchange of bodily fluids. Church, how sad is that? How sad is it to reduce a person created in the image of God to an exchange of bodily fluids? I think we should praise God that he has made us more than sex acts. You are not a sex act. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Male and female, he created us. And he said that we are good. He created us to rule and reign, to love and be loved, to think and dream and create and enjoy in complex relationships with God and with others in friendship. Friends, you were created for so much more than sex. Don't despise God for that. Praise him for it. Thank him for it. Worship and serve him for it. Don't settle to serve the God of sex or sex is all you'll have. And church, that will be a hellish existence. You are more than sex. Praise God for it. And not to single sex out, Paul offers many other examples of well. He says, if you ignore the light of God and the gospel in your life, if you make a good thing a God thing in your life, the darkness coming your way is indeed very dark. He lifts up greed and self-promotion and arrogant boasting. Here's what that looks like. If you, if you serve and worship your job, because you're greedy and you want to make more and more money or because you're arrogant and you want to boast about your reputation and how awesome you are because of your job, God says, eventually I will remove my light from you and I will give you with what your hearts desire and the end of your life you will have left only your job. How many marriages and families have we seen destroyed because a man or a woman choose to ignore the light of God to worship and serve a career rather than the Lord Most High? sacrificing their marriage, their family to make another buck to get a promotion only at the end of their life to be left with nothing more than their career. A good friend of mine a year back made a significant career change. He was kind of at the pinnacle of his field in a large city. He'd made it. He was making bank. 
He was also working about 80 hours a week on average and traveling three or four months out of the year. And I asked him, he, he decided to make a career change. It was a demotion, not only in pay, but also status. And I asked him, I said, why did you do that? Because everything that the world says would say, you're an idiot, right? Why would you ever take less money? Why would you ever take less, less status? Why would you ever do that? And he said, well, I was praying about it. It's been a strain on my family. And as I was praying about it, I went to a funeral of a buddy of mine whose dad passed away. And I feel like the Lord answered my prayer in that memorial service. He said the children stood up and here's what they could say about their dad. He was a really hard worker and he was great when he was with us. But he was mostly just at his job. He said the only other person that could share anything of depth beyond that was a coworker. And he said, I felt like in that, that God was, I'm using, I'm paraphrasing to fit, but essentially what he was saying was, I felt like God was turning up the, the light of life on my life and showing me that if I live my life to make a dollar and make decisions only based on economics or only based on power and prestige, this is what I will be left with. Just my career. Now, it's not wrong to work a good job. It's not wrong to make lots of money. It's not wrong to, to do all of those things. But hopefully you can see my point. If we choose to ignore the God of the Bible, to ignore his word, to ignore the reality and the truth that there are ways to make decisions that go beyond merely finances, power, and prestige, then God will turn the light up for us and show us the path. And then it's on to us by faith to step out in obedience. My friend took a demotion, he took less pay so that he could be present with his children when they are young and teach them the ways of God and build a legacy, not just of a giant inheritance of money, but one of faith at the end of his life. Church, if we worship and serve good things rather than God, eventually the dimmer switch on our life will go out and all we'll be left standing with in darkness is that thing we are worshiping. God's wrath for those who persist in ignoring him is to give us what our hearts desire. Friend, if your heart desire is not God, what you'll end up at the end of your life holding is that one thing, and it will be very dark, and it will be a very sad and depressing existence. You will be alone, you will be isolated, and you will be estranged from everyone and everything. That's because life apart from God Life in rebellion against God, it doesn't lead, the, the bottom is not sexual decadence. That's what we all think. That's, that's when the, the bottom falls out. That's actually not the bottom. Do you know what the bottom of the spiral of sin is? Relational destruction. Relational destruction. Ignoring the light of God leads to cancel culture where we devour one another. It leads to a breakdown of families where children don't honor or obey their parents any longer and where families are destroyed because of things like politics. Based on what you check behind some name on a ballot, families destroyed. Why? Because there's no fidelity any longer, no loyalty, no mercy, no love, only envy, slander, arrogance, and boastful, boastful virtue signaling and a celebration of the things that we know in our hearts, deep down in our hearts, we know they are wicked and evil. This is the bottom. If we worship good things as God rather than God, darkness, death, destruction, isolation, depression, and despair. 
This is what rebellion from God gives us. And the world whose minds have been darkened by Satan, they call this freedom. They say, run hard after what your hearts desire. Yes, you do you. You do you. You do what makes you happy. You follow your heart. Be free. Pursue it at all costs. They say this is the path to freedom and happiness. And church, it is a load of bull. It's a load of baloney. For the Christian, the one who believes, for the one who has faith, for the one who wants to acknowledge the light, do you know what we say? Do you know what our prayer is? It's not, Lord Jesus, give me what my heart is desire, what, what my heart desires. It's the opposite. Lord Jesus, please do not give me what my heart desires. You give me what your heart desires for me. That's what I want. That's what I want. And because of Jesus, friend, you and I can escape that wrath and judgment that's coming. We can know the light of life. We can know the truth. And if we would walk in it, if we would follow the light of Jesus, if we would abide in him as our North Star, the truth would set us free and it would continue to illuminate our path to help us make decisions from parenting to job choices to health concerns to you name it. God says, I will be a, a light unto your path. I began this morning by referring to Larry Osborne's dimmer switch principle. I want to wrap things up with there as well. Listen to the words of Larry and be encouraged. He said, at the beginning of our journey with God, many of us don't do a very good job of discerning between right and wrong. But the longer we walk in obedience and faith, the clearer the spiritual picture becomes. Subtle distinctions that were once indiscernible become obvious. Things we would never have noticed at first suddenly can't be missed. I find this to be incredibly encouraging, and here's why. It means I don't have to worry about all of the things that I don't know. Are you a baby Christian this morning? Awesome. I'm glad you're here. You don't know much. That's fine. You don't have to worry about what you don't know, right? You just have to respond to the light that you have, and the rest will come in God's time. Maturity and spiritual death, depth take time, but I I can please God right away because it's not a matter of how much I know or how long I've been at it. It's a matter of what I do now with what I have already been given. That's what matters the most. Church, the invisible and eternal qualities of God, his power, have been displayed to us through creation. You and I all have enough light from God in our lives to respond in faith. Don't rebel from that light. Step towards it. Receive it by faith. Respond to what you've been given. Keep on receiving it. Keep on following it, little by little. And if you respond to the light that's been given, God will turn that dimmer switch up and give you more. But if you reject it, if you run from it, eventually the light you have will be taken and all you'll be left with is darkness. Praise God for his grace that none of us need walk in darkness any longer. Praise God for Christ, that because of Christ there is no darkness too dark that his light cannot penetrate. He sees all. He sees us all, wherever we're at. He knows where we are, what we're up to. And if we would acknowledge him, he would come and pull us from the mire of our sin into his glorious light. May we all be empowered to walk in that light. May we have fellowship with one another as we walk in that light and may the power and the blood of Jesus always and forever
purify us from unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you for being the light to humanity, for being the light that gives life. Thank you for turning on the lights for each and every human being that lives in this dark world. Thank you for giving us enough to respond to you, whether we have the gospel or the Bible or not. There's enough for us to take that first step of faith towards you. And you've promised that for those who seek you with all their hearts, you will be found by them. May everyone in here this morning find you as they journey down the path of responding to the light. Thank you for being our light. Thank you also for being our good shepherd, Lord. In this world, we're invited to follow one of two shepherds, you as the good shepherd or Satan as the evil shepherd who's actually a wolf in disguise. Father, I pray that you would give us enough light to know that where the wolf wants to lead us, we don't want to go. But where you as the good shepherd want to lead us, there are streams of living water where we can find rest for our souls. You promise to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death we not, we, so we don't have fear. You promise to lead us, Lord, in the presence of our enemies, to feed us and nourish our souls as men and women would attack us. You promise to anoint our heads with oils as children in your kingdom to make us a prince or a princess with an inheritance. Father, thank you for being our good shepherd. Empower us with enough light to follow you and your voice wherever you lead us, Lord. For your good, for our joy, we pray. Amen.